Welcome to episode 12 of Both Sides of the Coin, our CDN publishing podcast. Uh, my name is Patrick Ian Perez. I'm the editor here at CDN, and I am joined, as always, with John, John Feigenbaum, our publisher. And to kick things off, first of all, happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. Uh, we find ourselves here at the beginning of December in lovely Virginia Beach, and uh, we hope everyone has a really, you know, happy and prosperous uh, holiday season, New Year. And as always, we kick the new new year off with the fun show. So that's something that we all look forward to. Um, and so talking about the new year and 2020, we've been working on a lot of exciting things here at, at, at CDN ourselves. And so, John, if you wanted to kick us off with that and tell us a little bit of what, what we've been doing on the development side, primarily with CDN Exchange. Sure, sure. I mean, it's been uh, 2019 has been a really, really good year at CDN for a lot of ways. Um, and one of my more passionate projects is really on the dealer only side. It's called CDN Exchange, and we're building basically a uh, you know business to business market, kind of a stock market type exchange where dealers can post bids and asks for coins, make it be known what they'll pay for things, and that directly affects the pricing that we see in the gray sheet and blue sheet, green sheet, and. We're the first time that one of these dealer exchanges is now publishing currency pricing. We've added modern China coins, and we've even recently added within our catalog uh, Canadian coins. So we're looking for someone who can help us with Canadian coin pricing. So if anybody out there listening is interested in helping us, we'd love to hear from you. But at CDN, basically, the most exciting part of the job is that it's the sky is the limit as far as the things that we work on, and we never have to come in for year after year and uh, assume we're going to stick in the same area. So it's, it's really fun to think about these other categories that we're going to start delving into. And um, I've been trying to build platforms like CDN Exchange, our website. The website has changed dramatically as well. If you're someone who regularly logs in, you'll see that, that we've added all this pricing, easy to access. Um, the homepage has completely been updated in terms of its look. If you subscribe, it's easy to log in now and see what publications are you know ready for download, so on. Exactly, and, and Student Exchange I think is such an amazing tool now, and we've definitely been I think uh, getting some momentum there with more users, more people engaging on the site, just because of the fact that whether it's a piece of U.S. currency or if it's a U.S. coin, you can look at auction records, you can look at our gray sheet pricing, our CPG pricing. Uh, population data all in one screen and, and and as you say we do that now for currency and you know we'll be adding more and more categories of coins branching out into the world stuff um, and I think that just makes it a really tremendous tool instead of having to go through multiple different websites to look at an auction record for instance now you can see them all aggregated on one page for a Canadian quarter or whatever it is um, right right and, and, and we're bringing online a brand new uh, news site, which is actually going to be on the regular site as opposed to currently it sits on a sort of a WordPress sister site that we really can't share logins and, and benefit from, from the knowledge of the, of the person using it. So we're going to bring that into the main site and tie all these pieces of information together. So if you're looking up a 1909 SVDB that was auctioned at the 2017 A&A show, some... Somehow you're going to look this coin up in CDN Exchange and you're going to see all these related pieces of information. What, you know, what headlines were written about this coin, when it sold, what, was, what are the headlines about that show in general. There's going to be all these great ways to learn about the industry and research coins that you're interested in, paper money and whatever else we get into because all these systems are tightly integrated in, in the, for the future. Right. And I think that's 
something and and by doing that you really are able to put that result in context which i think is one of the things that is really missing when people try and evaluate coins or evaluate the market in general they don't they're not able to say okay what was the market like at that time right was this a high right. price for the time was this a low part low price for at the time you know whatever it is i think putting things in context is really important and that's something we do even when we price coins now right you know you have to put each transaction in its in its kind of proper place sure Sure. And now that, that reminds me of one other thing that, I, that we've recently relaunched, which was our dealer directory, which is now uh, the it's, you know, in my opinion, the best dealer directory there is for the numismatic trade on anywhere. Why? Because if you the only way to appear in the directory is to be an active subscriber, which is to say that as soon as we get mail back that somebody has moved or something, you know, not no longer a subscriber, they're off that list, which is to say they're not an active dealer. So, yeah, it's a little self-serving because, you know, it's one other benefit of being a subscriber to the gray sheet or the green sheet because those are our wholesale publications or CD and exchange. However, now we know you're, you're active and you should have a listing. So if, you're, if you are an active dealer and you're not listed for some reason, let us know. We'll get you on there. And uh, if you're looking for a, a professional in the rare coin business, you know that this is someone who's, who's active and serious about the trade. Absolutely. And one other new item that at least in my opinion, I think has gotten really tremendous response is our CAC price guide, the CAC Rare Coin Market Review, which is uh, has now had two issues uh, to be published. Uh, we've given out a tremendous amount of them for free, both via the mail and at, at different at shows. And from that came an online price guide that's now on the CAC website itself. So uh, you want to get in that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, we've had a really, um, a really exciting, you know, um, entree into a new pricing segment, which is the CAC pricing. Um, we could do a whole segment on CAC pricing, of course, and we should. Um, right. Basically, we feel like it's a two-tiered system, and that the CAC pricing should be segregated in in certain cases from non-CAC coins, and that grew into a full a full database of prices, and. It was obvious to us based on demand that people wanted to see what that pricing looked like independent of non-CAC. So we developed in uh, with permission and you know working together with the John Albanese and the folks at CAC said you know they would be happy to to work with us on that. They they self-serving for them to have a product that that you know is out there that they can point to and say here's pricing. It's, it's retail pricing, priced. And, and it's independent. That's extremely important to them that this was an independent price guide that they have nothing to do with. And we, of course, that's what, exactly where we sit. So we created the magazine and, uh, you know, subscribers have been fantastic. You know, a new product is hard to launch and people have been really excited about it. And um, then uh, CAC has also now licensed that data to present on their website. So if you're looking on the CAC website and you just happen to want to research the populations and of a certain coin, you'll now see the prices on that page, which is great. So for us, that's a win-win. We, um, you know, we benefit by getting traffic back to our site and hopefully sell more subscriptions, which is what we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, I think it's something that also looks visually nice on the CAC site. So just another, yeah, another area where you can, another location where you can find uh, CD, CDN pricing. Correct. Correct. So every time or any time you enter a new year, people ask the question, oh, where do you think the market's going to go? Or how do you think, is the market going to be hot, cold, whatever verbiage you want to use going into every year? Sure. And, and so the same questions come up, you know, right now about 2020. But something that's unique about this year that happens every four years, of course, is that this is an election year. 
And so um, I wrote a little bit about this in the January issue of the, gray, of the monthly gray sheet in my market report, but it's something that's worthy to talk about now, and that is the fact that what is the, what is the impact generally, both on collectibles and the quote-unquote traditional markets, stocks, bonds, et cetera? That's a good question. I mean, I had, you asked me that, and I said I had to defer to you. That's not something I really uh, ever uh, correlated. I've correlated a lot of things to rare coins, but election years... I have not, and I think this is a, I think everyone would agree, it's a unique election year coming up, so it could be very interesting um, how that works. Whether So what do you think? I mean, are people- Well, it's really interesting, because from, from a data point of view, going back to the 20s, almost every single election year, the stock market's up, multi, you know, double-digit percentage. Wow. Sometimes 30%, 25%, 18%, you know, all over the map. And then what's really interesting, in 2008, which was, which was kind of a crazy year because it was an election year and it was the start of the great financial crisis. So, of course, the market was got crushed that year. It was down. It ruined everything. 37%. And <laughs> then, um, then in 2012, it was okay, positive but slightly. And then, so now I, what, I guess what I'm getting at is the fact that I think this is, the election years recently are more uncertain than any other time in the past. And so... Generally, the thought this year, going into this year, is that because the stock market has been on such a tear mm -hmm. and kind of other tangible properties going with it, that we're all going to see a little bit of a pullback, which could be a positive thing for an industry like ours because generally we have a lot of polarization, unfortunately, in our country, which leads to uncertainty, which leads to, okay, I want to get into something safe. And traditionally, that's been precious metals. And as we saw this year, when precious metals do well, you know, it kind of leaks into the coin business. So that's it's somewhat of a circular argument, but it certainly can be where people are saying, look, I've made a lot of money in stocks over the past two and a half years. I want to take a little bit out. And hopefully coins is something that they put it into. Well, well let me ask you this. I mean, if the stock market, if the stock market um, has a nice run like, like it's been having here and all of a sudden it does pull back, let's say 10 percent, 15 percent, you see some some sort of and this is independent of election year, three or four months sustained drawdown where the market just gets softer and softer and everybody starts losing the confidence of the stock market. How, how do rare coins, how do collectibles like rare coins benefit or not? Because I always, always wondered, like, is it, is it better? When, when the stock market's great, it, it always feels like people say, I have to just have my money in the stock market. I mean, I, don't, I can't afford not to have my money in the stock market. Right, they don't want to miss the If train. it goes down too much, they feel broke. So right. you have this kind of weird... Is there like an ebb tide when it's okay? You know, like it, like stocks go down a little bit and people start saying, you know, I think it's going to get worse. They pull money up, so I'm going to buy hard assets with that money. Is that a good thing? And at what point do we tip over and say people just feel scared now? Right. I, I think I think the only time it's it's really bad, it, it's a true negative for the coin business. This is my opinion, of course, is that when it when it's a really sustained slide and everyone starts to really panic and like you say, feel scared, then they just sell everything. Right. Which is the like worst October possible. October 28, you know, 2008, right? Right, which is the worst possible thing you can do. Otherwise, I think when it pulls back, they say, okay, well, I, I've given back a little bit on my stocks, but I'm going to keep this other stuff that I have. Right. Because that gives you security, you know, psycho psychologically. Would you press the bet on the, on the collectibles at that point? Do you say, you know, I'm going to take some percentage out of my... Uh, my ask, you know, my investments because I think stocks are going down anyway, and I really like collecting coins. So, it's a, I don't know. I yeah, mean, I, per, I think it's like possible. personally, I I do, mm -hmm. but I mm -hmm. I do realize that I'm somewhat of the outside of the, right. of, the of the of the normal, 
And I think, but most people will just say, okay, I'm going to pull some out and just have cash. Right. Just sit on the but, cash. But, you know, in the coin business, this is the problem with the coin business, honestly. In the, as somebody who sold coins for 35 years, bought and sold coins to collectors, the problem with the coin business is there is no, there is no everybody. It's the most like herding cats of anything I've ever seen. There is no behavior pattern. Um, what causes one person to try to amass the world's greatest coin collection one week has absolutely nothing to do with the next 10 collectors in, in his scope. It, it has everything to do with personal situations and, and, you know, one person could sell a company for a fortune and he has money and he had desire and the other person, who knows? I mean, I just can't think of, but I can tell you that there's, that, that this is an impossible industry to do any kind of, you know, economic theory on because I Correct. just feel like it's too small and too unique in terms of the, who comes where and why people sell. Usually people sell their coin collection. You know, for two reasons. One is, you know, financial disaster, which could, which happened in 2008. We did see some extreme sell-offs at that point. However, most people really only sell when they're dying or they have passed away and their estate sells it. That's, no one likes to give, you know, give up these things that they've collected and loved. Right. And be, have become part of them, their fabric. And you say, listen, I'm not, if I haven't missed any meals this week, why would I sell the coin collection? That's what I, you know. Absolutely. Part no. of my identity. Yes. So, um, I don't know what makes it change, but I know that it always felt like to me that that market financial market movements always hurt us and rarely gain for us. You know, like again, if the stock market's too good, I can't spend money elsewhere. If the stock market's too bad, I just feel broke. Right. Where does you know where does coin collecting fit? And I think it's just kind of a I think yeah pattern right or no, no pattern that I, that definitely no pattern. One thing that, to put I guess the the um, the parting shot of positivity on it is that. People can really, I think if, if people are ready, if you have cash and reserves, you can get some really, you can buy some really fantastic coins at good prices this year. Right. This coming year. Well, and I think that's something that's worth pointing out as the silver lining to right now in the year we've had in the rare coin business, which is that there is some serious value out there. Now, yeah, if read that any way you want, say, well, you know, things have gone down in price. That's a negative perspective. But I say um, opportunity in and a lot of coins. I mean, if I were a coin collector, which I've, you know, avowed myself not to be one, basically, except for my so-called dollar collection, um, that there's some great coins at great values. I mean, I still think that it's never been more important to have a discerning eye and to work with somebody who really knows what they're doing to, to be your Sherpa through that process. Don't try it alone. However, um, this is a good time to buy. Now, will prices go down? Possibly, but there's a very finite number, especially at the top end, the really cool coins. And it's, it doesn't have to be the most money. Right. But, you know, if you want to collect key date coins and high grade, there's not many of them. So not, you get them when you can and you get them at a price and you go into auctions and be disciplined about what you'll pay for things. And I think you come out of this market and 10 years from now, you're looking back saying, wow. Right. You know? Yeah. Because somebody, somebody like a Deloitte Hansen type of, you know, collector We'll come along and just buy five of these, you know, of a of a certain key date, um, and and not want to get rid of them because they're so interesting and so great. Right. And there's not more than that in, in a lot of areas. There's just not much depth in this market. Exactly. Availability. Exactly. And there's definitely on on for the really like you say for the really nice stuff. When when a when a coin market is hot, there's always way more buyers for that lookers for that stuff than right. there are coins in existence. And that and that spike chart will keep, will go quickly. Right. Yeah, that is true. When there's demand. That is true. And there's already that situation, even though prices feel like they're, you know, flat to down, 
when somebody really needs a certain coin, like we've seen a want list, I think, on CDN Exchange recently for, I want to say, 1915, two and a half, and MS65 with the CAC sticker, and nobody can find that coin. Doesn't, right. you know, shouldn't be impossible. You could double the bid on that coin, you still wouldn't find that coin. And that's right. what we're talking about here. That's very hard to find certain coins when you need them. Very interesting. Yeah, we definitely look forward to 2020. So now going from looking forward, looking back, uh, last month, uh, CDN had the pleasure of attending the Baltimore show, uh, in the Whitman uh, Expo, which is, of course, the final one of each year uh, that takes place in November. And it was interesting for a couple of reasons. First, just a quick recap on the show. Number one, I think the auctions were really strong for that esoteric material, like the metals and the Washington collection. Um, currency did okay. Overall, I think it was a pretty strong sale. Uh, There's a lot of fanfare about the $38 half dollar that sold. Um, so there was, you know, sort of interesting coins, and it was a fairly, fairly successful auction. Did the thirty-eight zero um, sell right at Gray Sheet, essentially? Very close to. Very it. close. Yeah. I was proud that we were right on the number with that coin. Yeah, it was very close. So say what you want about that level, we knew it. We know we had it well, you know, charted out yeah, at the time. Absolutely. Um, there was definitely positive reports. My personal take was that the Borscht floor was pretty light particularly on Friday as far as just public traffic mm-hmm. coming in. However, multiple dealers that I talked to said it was their best pre-show in years. Hmm. Tons of buying and selling on both, you know, both ways. Because uh, I always make sure to check that. It's like, well, did you just buy everything or did you just sell everything? But there was a good balance of both. It's usually um, this time of year, uh, it seems like two-thirds of the industry, of the, of the small to medium-sized dealers, just want to have no inventory for for December 31, which is something I could never understand. But right. if you're an opportunistic buyer, you can usually go into these late coin shows and guys are just like, yeah, I just want to go. I just want to be empty uh, in December. Right. Yeah. You which, like, like you, that, that never quite made a lot of sense to me. However, um, so the show was strong on that side. So dealers that did come, I think, had a, had a pretty successful show. Sure. Um, you know, as long as you were willing to do wholesale business. And of course, the main... The main event of the whole of the whole of the whole uh, weekend was the fact that the mint released the. Uh, I don't know if we want to use the word infamous yet, but the uh, the famous. I think it's infamous at this point. Uh, tw- Twenty nineteen uh, enhanced finish reverse proof uh, silver eagle. Say that five times quickly. Yeah, exactly. Of which uh, only thirty thousand, of course, were made, uh-huh. um, and one per household. It was released on the Thursday. At noon, both online and then they reserved a certain amount to be released in person at the show. Um, Designed for chaos. Yes. And so um, coincidentally, the CDN table was right across the aisle from the mint booth. So it was very interesting to observe. And, you know, Billy was complaining that she thought that was going to be a terrible table. And she was complaining to the to the board, you know, chairwoman that she didn't like our table. And then she, and then we had the best table in the, in the house, apparently. It was quite interesting. Yeah. So. So just without going into the really, really lengthy recap, what they allowed people to start lining up, I believe, right just after 5 a.m. But what they did is they put them in another adjacent hall next to the board floor. So they weren't outside in the cold on the street. They were inside the convention center. And they basically just lined the wall of this large hall. Uh-huh. And they just waited there. And they were, and they were giving out tickets. Okay. So the ticket gave you the right to buy a coin, but it did not guarantee you that you would get one, i.e., the way I read that is that they were going to pass out more tickets than they had coins. Well, okay. So but that was never verified. So without a ticket, you were yes. SOL, and if you had a ticket, you might get a coin. Correct. And then you had to wait in another line to 
presumably to be the first X person in line. Otherwise, your ticket wasn't worth anything. Precisely. So what happened was... So I they, get it. So they, wait, yeah. <laughs> so they waited in the... You get in boxing that, gloves with that with right, tickets? Right. Uh, but it was nice because the mint booth was all quiet. And then at, at right at noon or a little, a little prior to noon, uh, they brought in the first... And, in the first group of people and what they were doing is they're bringing in it looked like about 25 at a time uh-huh. so they carried you you walked over from the adjacent room into the mint booth bought your bought your coin once that line was going down they brought in another 25 and that rotation just continued all day all day and it was pretty calm because they were just buying one thing okay of course i believe one of the one out of the two registers went down at the mint, which is i heard that perfect but yeah which is not surprising at perfect. all perfect so that slowed things down a bit. Um, so that it actually went relatively smooth as far as that part okay. of it. And but. then, of course, there was people selling it immediately after they got out of line onto mm-hmm. the secondary market, which is the second piece to the story. Right. Um, so general, so initially it was like two fifty to three hundred dollars was the going rate, you know. And the guy was walking, you know, eleven, you know, fifteen feet from the checkout at the mint, you know, to the t- different tables at the dealer, the various. Uh, wholesale dealers. So you had guys them. basically, you know, waiting around, right around the mint cash register saying, I want to buy your coin, I want to buy your coin? Yeah, with a little slip of paper that said their booth, go to this booth, and they would kind of like write, verify it, like sign it off and say, okay, go to this booth. And they were very careful. They told the person, don't open the box, don't look at it, don't, you know, just just leave it in the bag, walk to this table, take your cash, and then Because if you opened the package, you destroyed some amount of value, just opening the mint package. That's how it was being played out. Right. Exactly. The fear of opening the package. And he- hearing that very distinct thing that you, we always hear on the board's floor when a coin hits concrete once in a while. Um, it was everyone's worst nightmare. But, but you, you also said that the Mint director signed some of them? Well, yeah. So that's so the Mint decided to have the, mint, the new Mint director sign 100 out of the 30,000 paper COAs. And they were randomly inserted in the packaging 100 process. 100 out of 30,000. Yes. Okay. I actually don't know if any of the 100 were found at the ones that were released at the show. Okay. I, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't check that check that out. But yeah, so it was 100 out of 30,000 had the sign, hand-signed uh, certificate of authenticity. So are you going to have a special listing in the uh, gray sheet for, 60, you know, government <laughs> packaging, 69, 70... And then signed uh, well, if, the sign certificate. That's like like almost like a shipwreck gold foil label. If once, if and when they sell, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, there's been some outrageous prices asked for them so far. There's one on eBay for over a hundred thousand, correct? It's which is number two. Number serial number two is it signed? Yeah. So the the ones and signed. Oh, they're all numbered. I see. The one through one hundred are signed. So number two signed is is on sale on eBay for over a hundred thousand. Correct. That's yes. great value. Not we we do not recommend that at CVS. No, that is a yeah. That would that would be a a hard pass. I mean, you know. So anyway, so anyway, so so the day went by actually just fine. Uh, eventually, the going price went to like five hundred dollars um, wholesale. Um, and so what's interesting? So on that Thursday, the board's floor closed at six. We all left because they say you know as as anyone who's been to a coin show knows. You know, you have to leave. Right. But there were, when I was when we were leaving our booth, there were still people in line. And so I was very curious. So the next day I came back in the morning and I guess people had they kept selling because they wanted to honor the people that had been in line all day. And so they were bringing people onto the board's floor after hours. And I believe they finished selling at about 715. 
It's about That's an hour. the latest the mint people have ever worked in their lives. Yes, and you could hear them complaining about it. Yeah, <laughs> they'll get a month off. Certainly. Um, <laughs> so then, interestingly, so the next day, the, the show, you know, we get to the booth about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and, the, you know, we're just, as CDN, we're just there to talk to customers and, and, and do our thing. Well, as that time going by, I, you know, you still, we, we started seeing people milling about the uh, mint booth without any no particular reason mm-hmm. and of course as things do at coin shows wor- rumors start to swirl that hey the mint's gonna put this thing back on sale today at 12 noon and everyone's like and me personally i was like no that's that, that would make zero sense so they sold their allotment on the first day and you and there were rumors that were going to sell another allotment or they no the, the rumor was that they did not sell all of them that they had to okay. sell okay and do we know I, what that number was no, see that okay. I never got official confirmation. I've heard all a lot of different numbers of speculation. Mm-hmm. Five hundred out of the thirty thousand, a thousand out of the thirty thousand, but I've never gotten confirmation. Was, is there a special show label for people who submitted at the show? Yes. So, so you would presumably the value is to buy it at the show because that's you know five hundred or a thousand out of thirty thousand. Walk it over to NGC and get it graded because not only are you going to get a, a grade, you're going to get some kind of special label says this was one of those fewer at the show. Yes. Okay. There was, yeah. So both grading services were doing Baltimore labels. Right. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, so as it gets closer to noon, this is all very intriguing to everyone, you know? And so finally at about 1130 through channels and people that I trust, it was confirmation. Yes. The men is going to sell these things again. At Another noon. allotment. They had to go back to the well. Yes. And Good so, for them. yeah. <laughs> and so I, meanwhile, Keep in mind that that you know the night before, you had internet outrage on all various forums saying Lots. that people who were trying to order them online could not. You know, it was sold out in what was it, eighteen minutes? I, I didn't know, but I mean, most well, people couldn't get an order in. Period. It was sold out well before one o'clock Eastern, right, on the Thursday. So now we are here, twenty four hours later, and somehow mysteriously, some are going to go back on sale on the Friday. So at eleven forty five, people just started lining up with no right. With no real confirmation. And then finally, one of the uh, Mint employees at about 11.50 said, okay, yeah, we're going to sell them. Please line up this way and, you know, be orderly. Well, the line ended up snaking and got in front of some of the booths. And the booth owners were obviously none too pleased about that. Right. So at 12, the men said, okay, we're going to move the line from inside on the board's floor at our booth to outside. And not just outside the hall, outside of the convention center. So they were out in the... It wasn't that cold that day, but you know it was. It wasn't warm. So we get it, it, it. You know the mint started out okay, and then it got crazy. So they said everyone outside, like all the way outside on Pratt Street, people started just. It was in a, and then it was so the. Let's say it was forty to fifty people that were in already in line at the mint booth just right. rushed out the door, and uh, a bunch of them went through the doors that are not exits. You know, the, on, if people are familiar with the Baltimore show, there's. These doors that you're really not supposed to go out of, mm-hmm. they all went out of, you know, through that door. Lined up. And then once the line was set, though, they did the same thing. They brought in people just small groups at a time. Right. Um, what, a, what a nutty situation. I mean, look, look the Mint obviously um, has good intentions here. And they're, we heard this about a year ago at one of their symposiums that they invite dealers, some small number of dealers and, and the press too. And they told us that, you know, they're trying to think of ways to make things more interesting, get collectors more engaged in their products. And, you know, the numbers are staggering for how many customers the Mint had 
and has lost over the last several years. Now, some of that is attributable to bullion being just a little bit less interesting. And so the number of customers are down. But at the same time, that you know, David Ryder, who's the new Mint director, has has just taken the position about maybe a year ago now. Right. And he's, you know, he's come energized trying, you know, they're showing up at the Berlin show. I saw them and you know, at other at all the major shows, you know, a few a year here in the United States. And that's great. So they kind of they contrived an idea here to make something scarce and get people engaged in, get a lot of headlines going. That's what I see. It's a headline grab, this whole right. weird situation. Um, and it, it upsets a good number of people who went online and the Mint website's not designed for this crush of traffic. Um, so that's the travesty of it because if all other things considered, if they could handle the traffic efficiently, people really wouldn't have a legitimate reason to be upset. You put, it, right. you put the item in your shopping cart, you should be able to check that out. So if everything else thing, I kind of support. I support the idea of this little cake craziness. Right. Um, you know, the grading services love it because the grading services can split off into these various kinds of labels, like the show only label or the, how about the show only and a David Ryder signature? I mean, it sounds like there could be one or two of those out there. That could be, that's, yeah. that's a supremely rare item. Um, you know, all of which old, old school numismatists like myself would have scoffed at some years ago and said, this isn't real. These aren't true collector coins. But the truth is they're real because collectors do love them. Right. And the contemporary collector, like it or not, from a, from a purist standpoint, loves collecting American silver eagles or, you know, and, and I've always maintained, you start with silver eagles, you go to Morgan dollars or peace dollars or Buffalo right. nickels, whatever you go to. So I support the mint 100% doing things to get headlines out there. Um, of course, some dealers are going to benefit. You know, you have several savvy dealers who know exactly what they're doing about how to get the most, you know, like pre-range and get people in line. You know, they hire people to get in line. You know, uh, one of the dealers we know hired a talent agency, you know, actors, and they don't even know these actors don't even know that they're hired to stand in line at the Mint to pick up product. But they're a great way for someone, you know, it's actually a great idea. Because where else are you going to get like temp agent, you know, right. employees? So, so all of that is very savvy, and that's the way the capitalist system works. And I support all that. And I think a lot of collectors bought a coin for sixty nine dollars and sold them for as much as a thousand. Um, right. So, you know, it's a win win. It could have been handled a little better, but it's it's already been handled better than the twenty fourteen uh, Kennedy Gold oh, by a mile situation. So maybe next time they'll do something like I t would love to see, which is like um, figure out how to partner this thing with eBay. And let and start everything at sixty nine dollars. So the mint gets the sixty nine dollars, and then every and then everyone bids, and they should split up these signatures. You know, should be split into the right. This is number one with a signature, and could go for ten thousand or a hundred thousand dollars. And then the mint gives that to charity. Give that right. to a charity. Give that back to coin collecting kids and youth in numismatics or whatever. And and that's how we should take it to the next step. Of course, the mint doesn't listen to me. But that's what I would do if I was the mint director. Absolutely. And like you said, I, I have no problem with things going up by a thousand percent in price overnight. Sure. No big deal. It's the market. My I only had one major issue here. What's that? And that is the fact that the mint said it's one per household. So yeah. online it's easy to verify. Boom. That's the shipping address. The system knows if you try and order from that shipping address again, it blocks it. Right. No problem. The problem was when they put the coin back on sale on Friday. They were, anyone could get back in line. Right. And there was people openly boasting at the show, oh, I got three, oh, I got four. 
And that's, that's number one, that's a bad look as you as an individual sure, sure. because you're taking advantage of a situation. But it's more on the mint saying, if you were going to put them back on, if you had, if you knew that it was even a remote possibility that these were going to go back on sale, you should have been recording everyone who was buying it on Thursday. Yeah. That way, when you put them back on sale Friday, oh, you were here yesterday. I'm sorry, sir. You, you can't know, buy it. Yeah. You're that, giving them a lot of credit for being able to get things right. So, I mean, I would just yeah. say that, that they got it right-ish. And it's not even the mint. I, my indictment is on those dealers who got in line five times. And you're going to indict a coin dealer for trying to make to make money on coins. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's true. On. That's true. But it's it, you know it, it's it was an interesting situation. Right. Right. I mean, I think it's I think that's fair game. You're at a coin show. You're there to make money on coins, and and yeah, if the mint you, is going to dangle. You know. Uh, a sixty-nine dollar coin. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, my morals <laughs> allow for that. Yeah, that's true. I don't want to make money on that coin. Yeah, that's no, true. That, that's to true. me, that's fair game, one hundred percent. And uh, and shame on the mint for blowing a, you know that part of the uh, execution. And hopefully they've learned. And I hope they keep coming out with more scarce coins because the war, the last thing we need is more common coins. Oh, the last thing I was going to say too. What's really interesting, uh, being thirty thousand now, that means there can only ever be. 30,000 complete sets of, thir- of Silver Eagles. Right. Which is, I think, really fun because that's by far the most popular set to do by date, Mint State Improved, bam, the whole, the whole set. And it, it's a fantastic appearance, too, when you have the whole set in the album. And so now the most sets that will ever be able to be made is 30,000. Right. Which I, I think is interesting. I like, too, that they started, I mean, you know, again, why not? And uh, Why not for the grading services to certify and they're not grading them, but they will eventually, I'm sure. But why not certify the COAs that go with it? Because that, especially when they're numbered, it allows you to tie the coin to the COA. And, yes. you know, in the GSA dollar world, you know, those certificates matter. And it's because they've never been certified with the, the GSA dollar, you know, with the serial number of both in the same kind of, because you just tie them together with a, with a certificate serial number. Right. That that you lose track of those things. And I think, I think more and more, you know, we, we, in, in classic coins, we talk about pedigrees and, you know, there's all these cool inserts that usually will belong to a certain coin. Right. I mean, why not, you know, that'd be another conversation, but why not, you know, certify any paperwork that comes from the Newman collection or something like that, that, that should never be separated from this coin Absolutely. and they could tie it together. So I like this development. It was a good idea. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, so the final uh, topic that we're, briefly touch on is the fact that recently PCGS announced that they're doing a CAC only registry. Um, so if you have, if you're a collector of a given series and you have uh, most of your coins stickered by CAC, those go into a separate registry that is not mixed with non CAC coins. Um, right. So I think that it's a very interesting thing that it's a bold move. I yeah. Think. Bold move um, produced obviously a lot of um, opinions um, so just, John, your take on that? You know, my take is simple. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a, a, I'm one of the few people without a deep um, feeling on registries in the sense that, that I like collecting and I don't like competing. I don't like the idea so much of competing, but I know registries are a huge, a huge part of the market and have, and have been very important. Um, and I think that, uh, that at PCGS, what Brett Charville, who's heading PCGS, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's forward thinking and all that. And, and, you know, I think you could have overthought this decision easily and not added cat coins to the PCGS registry because there's there's a couple of ways to look at it. One is that now there's a you know we talked about you know a 
bifurcated system and pricing for CAC coins. And now if we're saying, why is that? Because the CAC coins have a different grading standard than non-CAC coins or something like that, then putting them in a registry is acknowledging that to some degree, is it not? Or is it, or do people not see it that way? And that's the right. conversation that's happening online. Well, I think, I think, right, exactly. And so I, I think two things. Number one, for those few collectors that remained, that were serious collectors that had, that rejected CAC, mm-hmm. I think this is like another thing where they say, okay, I just got to, I got to own what this is. And, and you think so? I don't know. I think those people will still not be interested in CAC coins. And I think that what this really, uh, yeah, it's I think it just helps. It, it just kind of helps the guy who's some people are CAC only. Some people have both and some people could, you know, everybody could probably have both. Um, but the people who are CAC only, it vindicates them. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a flavor that they like and they want everything to have a CAC sticker. And so now they have a home if it's PC, if it's PCGS and CAC, uh, I think the door is open still for uh, a registry that has NGC, PCGS, and throwing in it in the CAC factor, I think is good. I mean, everybody who collects should be given a home, and that's right. the way we see it at CDN is, is, is let's be you know, inclusionary. And since, since to me, the, pro, the brand of CAC has found a home, it, it is a legitimately collected item by very serious collectors, that there's no other reason to reject it on that purpose. So let's let's help them want to collect more. But yeah. I, I don't think it's going to sway non-CAC guys. I don't think. Yeah. Well, the vindication part is interesting because it, it it certainly will vindicate some of the really extreme prices that are paid for Something top will, pop will go CAC yeah. Yeah. coins. Um, and then I think possibly it might lead to a little bit of disappointment where if a guy is ranking high on a given registry set, but he's never submitted his coins to CAC because it doesn't matter for the registry. Right. And if he submits a, a handful of them and they, you know, whether they perform good, bad, or otherwise, could influence, you know, could, right, they could produce upset him. disappointment or excitement. Right. So that would be very interesting. Right. So at some point, you know, there's a, the, the, the ultimate registry will have to, I think, account for a premium value assigned to a CAC coin right. as opposed to Excluding CAC or non-CAC. So you say, I want to build a set of seated dollars and it's CAC only. It's almost impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. Right. And that's the other issue. So you're going to have a collection that could be three quarters CAC and not. And so what, what I think will happen, you know, PCGS, I'm sure it's sort of experimental on their mind. And that's, that's what I think is, you know, smart about it from their standpoint. They take an experiment and they can always change their mind later if they say we didn't like the way this played out. But in the meantime, they can look at it and they can say, you know, whether they would eventually you know, say CAC and non-CAC in the same set, and there's a weighting difference to CAC. Right. And I don't even know, you know, how John Albanese would feel about that. I mean, I, I know, and I can, you know, that he and I have had conversations about registry in general. And one of the things that he feels the most strongly about, and I agree with him completely, by the way, is the way they, that way that AU58s are weighted in sort of every man sets, or these, there's, there's kinds of sets. So what happens is, you know, the every man set of, if I, if I know correctly, can go up to AU58. Correct. And yeah. then, so the other people will compete on all the way to MS70 or something in grade. So, the, so these everyman sets, AU58 coins are worth more than MS62 of the same coin, which has caused several things. One is that people will take out an uncirculated coin, put a little wear on it, regrade it to AU58, which is a travesty. Right. So It totally distorts the market. So, so we feel, he and I discussing it, both agreed on this matter was like, we just MS65 
you know, maybe you can you can cap it at AU58 value, but you should not punish a coin. You should not punish a collector who has like an eight every man set throws in an MS65 and they just they should just weight that at AU58. And then that would not hurt the value of these uncirculated coins. So I think that's something again, another conversation. There's a million conversations right. splinter here, but but right. that's that's one that um you know, I think would be good for the market. Yeah, pricing. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be uh, the auction performance of I, top pop CAC coins this coming year will will definitely be it will be self evident the impact of that. Right. So it'll be it will be quite interesting yeah. to follow. It will be interesting to follow. We'll we'll definitely report back on that in general um, as we see. You know, there's two kinds of coins. Some somewhere CACs prices are much different than non CAC, and then somewhere almost the same. Right. Some a lot of classic commems are the same, and so. I'd be curious to see if, like, you could easily build a set of classic commems in MS66, for example, or 65, 66, and a CAC only, and you could do that. Yes. And the premiums aren't significant at all, and I'll be curious to see if that spread changes. Good point. Very good point. Well, I think that wraps it up. John, if you have anything else um, to mention or anything that we skipped over. No, I mean, I know we have some other topics. We have a nice list of topics that we should say for the next time because I, I think this was a great conversation and um, a lot of interesting things happen in this, you know, in 2019. And we, you know, from Patrick and I and the rest of the team here at CDN, we'd like to wish you a happy new year and a prosperous 2020. Yes. And please come see us at the fun show. Uh, one of the new things about at CDN is we're doing, uh, we're going to try to have like a T-shirt design logo to give away at every major coin show that we go to and so we've got one coming at the fun show you got to first come first serve so just come by the table um but it looks a lot like uh the cover of the january issue which i've just uh approved actually as we went to press today so uh thank you all for watching yeah i would say just one thing yeah i think the only thing that was more popular that was as popular as the Silver Eagle at Baltimore was our Gracie t-shirt. So oh, that, was, good. that was kind of a cool thing to, to deal. And, and those of you who got one, hopefully that uh, you're enjoying it. So uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs>